Christchurch, New Malden, 23rd of February 2020, 9.30 service. Robert Shrimpton speaking on 2020 Vision, a church that cares for those with special needs. Um, in the last sermon in the series on Vision 2020, I'll be sharing some of my thoughts um, as a special need practitioner of over 15 years. In fact, the very reason for me ever coming to this church was to listen uh, to Ros Blackburn. Actually, I came not to listen to her, but help run the crash here for parents and carers so that they could come into this church and listen to Ros Blackburn, who's a celebrated adult um, with autism who lectures about her condition. That's the very reason why I first came here. Now, in terms of this series, it's been a powerful and thought-provoking series, um, and I've enjoyed listening from where you are. When I say that, often the case, I'm somewhere else, um, running after a little one. So I've listened to the podcast quite extensively, um, and it's been really compelling to hear the visions uh, for 2020 here at Christchurch. So this morning, I'm here to talk about a church that cares for those with special needs. But what do we mean by special needs? Well, I could give you a definition. I won't. I won't this morning. Okay? Um, instead, today, I will speak from experience, or rather, experience of others with a special need. Experience of others who are different to me. Now, the title up there, I don't know if you can see that, where it says, For Those with Special Needs. Now, that was written by one of my colleagues who has cerebral palsy, and that's his best handwriting. I know it's his best handwriting because he knew you were going to read it, so he made sure it was. So he spent a lot of time on that. He struggles to write, to communicate. And at times, he finds the seemingly simple act of talking even harder. On a night out, a bouncer will just assume that he's drunk and not let him in. And if he does get let in, then a barman might not be able to hear him and ask for him to write down his order. I think you can see the problem. It's his difference. And this morning, I will be asking some fearful and wonderful questions about what that vision could be when we're thinking about caring for those with special needs. But I won't be referring to special needs with those words, whatever that means, but I'll be using the word difference. As there is a difference in thinking that needs to take place. And when I started to write this talk, I looked through the Bible for inspiration, but I kept coming back to a question that I asked my year sevens, eights, and nines at the first assembly I did this year at school. And it was this. <clears throat> what are you going to do? That was it. What are you going to do? In response to difference. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's room. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. 
your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, my eyes saw an unformed body. All the days ordained me were written in your book before one of them came to be. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. God made us. You. Me. Those with a difference, knowing full well the struggles they would face. He designed and created them exactly as he knew was good and perfect and wonderful. There is always the argument placed at God's door of why he would allow this or that to happen. And I'm not going to explore that here, as this is a conversation, a way of what I'm asking you to consider today. What are the barriers we as a church can remove from the lives of those with a difference? What can you do to support? See the difference. Acknowledge the wonderful. Be ready to make the change that is needed to enable God's purpose for all of us to achieve. Does anyone here remember a couple of years ago the introduction of a, a safer form of non-invasive prenatal testing um, for the extra Down syndrome chromosome? Can you remember that? Okay, and the res- there was research into identifying chromosome 21. For those of you who have gone through a pregnancy, these tests you'll know about. Okay, you would have worried about them. You would have thought about them. You would have spent time discussing with your partner about them. So, a couple of years ago, there was a lot of research suggesting that Down syndrome could be eradicated in as little as 20 years. And it started a conversation about creation. Hence, our Bible reading today. A conversation about supremacy, about the ethics of what we could, should do, in terms of medical science. And it caused an amazing response from some voices of those who live with a difference. The actress Sally Phillips, you might know her from Alan Partridge or Drop the Dead Donkey, she made a BBC documentary back in 2016, um, called A World Without Down Down Syndrome, in which she discussed her own son, Ollie, her firstborn. And it really started a conversation in this country about ethics. And that conversation actually stemmed from a TED talk given a year earlier by a Down Syndrome adult called Karen Gaffney. And her captivating TED Talk titled, I have one more chromosome than you. So what? And she was arguing that this conversation was about her. She was saying, this is about me, this is about my life, that you're wanting to eradicate. And she was asking, is that right? Is that fair? To stop something 
that is wonderfully made, like me. Now that is a conversation, that is a discussion for you to have with yourselves. And that discussion reminded me of a short film I saw a couple of years ago. It's called So Much Yellow. It's by an amazing writer-director called Erica Milsom. In fact, Disney Plus are releasing her latest groundbreaking um, short film, Loop, um, about a non-verbal autistic child next month. Some of you may have seen Pixar's short film called Float. It's been circulating on Facebook. It's very similar. But a couple of years ago, Erica Milsom made So Much Yellow, which is set in Northern Carolina in the late 60s. It's a short, dramatic film about a young girl and the family road trip that changes her life forever. Now, we're going to watch a short clip now, and I want you to study each person, not just the one with the difference. It'll be hard, but take a watch. And it's inspired by a true story. It follows the agonizing decision of two parents to institutionalize their child. And I'm sure you got a sense from the silence from the parents in the car, the heart-wrenching decision at a time when differences were less understood and hidden, kept secret in some cases, had been made. The film goes on to explore the impressionistic nature of memories about the institutionalization and loss, particularly amongst siblings where one child has Down syndrome. And we see the difference in this film from the perspective of a sibling. In the book of John, we hear the story of Jesus healing a blind man. As we went along, we saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God may be displayed in him. For those living with someone with a difference, it can be really difficult not to look for blame. Either yourself, your partner, your environment, medicine. As a parent, I'm always questioning my parenting fails. I'm always playing what-ifs in my mind. So we need to take heed in Jesus' own words in John. God designed that every person, child, exactly as they are. So notice the difference. That doesn't mean make excuses for them or lowering expectations just see the difference, that fearful, wonderful difference. Listen, actively listen to them and those around them without judgment 
or blame. Be aware. Be present. I always come back to the celebrated poem written in 1987 by the American author and social activist Emily Pearl Kingsley in response to having a child with a disability. It's called Welcome to Holland. You were handed a copy of this on the way in. I'll read it for you now. When you're going to have a baby, it's like planning a fabulous vacation trip to Italy. You buy a bunch of guidebooks and you make wonderful plans. The Colosseum, the Michelangelo David, the gondolas in Venice. You may learn some handy phrases, buongiorno in Italian. It's all very exciting. After months of eager anticipation, the day finally arrives. You pack your bags and off you go. And several hours later, the plane lands. And the stewardess comes in and says, Welcome to Holland. Holland? You say. What do you mean, Holland? I signed up for Italy. I'm supposed to be in Italy. All my life, I dreamed of going to Italy. But there's been a change to the flight plan. They've landed in Holland. And there, you must stay. Now, the important thing is, they haven't taken you to a horrible, disgusting, filthy place full of pestilence, famine and disease. It's just a different place. So you must go out, buy new guidebooks. You must learn a whole new language, and you'll meet a whole new group of people that you have never have met. It's just a different place. It's slower paced than Italy, less flashy than Italy, but after you've been there a while, you catch your breath. You look around. You begin to notice that Holland has windmills, and Holland has tulips. Holland even has Rembrandts. But everyone you know is busy coming and going from Italy, and they're bragging about that wonderful time they had there. And the rest of your life, you will say, yes, that's where I was supposed to go. That's what I had planned. And the pain of that will never, ever, ever go away, because of the loss of that dream is a very, very significant loss. But if you spend your life mourning that you didn't get to go to Italy, you may never be free to enjoy the very special, the very lovely things about Holland. Though the plan of our lives can become different, when faced with a difference, The purpose of our lives is still the same. We exist by him, through him, for him. We are created by God, for God. We exist 
for Jesus. No lesser purpose. And yet, research by Sense that was quoted in the Sermon on Loneliness a couple of weeks ago has shown that up to 50% of disabled people will be lonely on any given day. And I wonder what the statistic would be like for their loved ones and their siblings, etc. In those times of loneliness, do they feel a lack of purpose? Having a difference is isolating. And I don't just mean socially, for example, just being alone, but it can also be being alone in a crowd. How do you know that you're loved by him, by God, when you don't have the security and love of a church all around you? Let me give you an example from an experience I noticed this week, funny enough, at the Morden Centre. I took my eldest son, Samuel, for a family fun session. It essentially comprised, and if you've ever had the pleasure of going to one at the Morden Centre, of a large inflatable course. There it is. Now, this course has been erected for children aged eight and above, and they're strapped into life vests, and they're launched down this obstacle course, and then they splash down at the end of it. It's exciting. It's noisy. Samuel described it. It's like total wipeout UK. It's crazy. So there we were, our first time trying to work out what was going on and what we had to do, you know, to have fun. I paid for myself to go in because I was worried about whether Samuel would be okay. Would he be safe and happy with this new experience, surrounded by much older, more water-confident children? Samuel life-vested up, and he joined the queue, and he stood next to a boy of around the same height and age, also there with their parent. They'd never met before, and Samuel did not see the difference of the other child. He didn't see the chewing of the life vest strap as they tried to self-regulate their anxiety. He didn't see the flapping of the hands and the response to the exciting activity that was about to happen. He didn't notice the covering of the ears when 40-plus children excitedly said they were ready to start the course. Samuel did not see these differences, just the opportunity to play with a peer. A peer who told him he was anxious, and Samuel reciprocated his own fears about trying out this new experience. It was going really well. I went to the end of the inflatable, to the deep end, to see where Samuel and his new friend would be catapulted out into the deep end of the pool. And there I met, again, the boy's mum. We got talking, and we quickly established that her son was on the autistic spectrum, and he had a touch of ADHD as well. Hence, why she was at the end of the course 
waiting for him, anxiously and concerned, wondering if he was going to get to the end of the course, fearfully and wonderfully. Now, Samuel had never tried this activity before, and neither had this boy. But this boy's mum had talked to the staff about his condition. His mum had explained when she was paying her ticket that he was on the spectrum. She explained again when they were putting the life vest on him. She was meant to have one too, actually. However, they didn't have a life vest that fitted her. So there we were at the end of this inflatable, waiting for our boys. And I, find out, I found out from talking to her that he went to the very first school that I taught at, in one of my old classes. To look at him, you would never have known. Why would you? He had a hidden condition, a hidden difference, a difference that only presents when the world around him becomes too challenging. Hence why she was there at the end, ready to step in if needed, hoping above all hope that she wouldn't have to. And that's when it happened. Can you guess what happened? I'm going to give you just 30 seconds. Talk to someone next to you. What do you think happened? Okay, time's up. Oh no, I've got a microphone. Would anyone like to give an answer? If you would, strong eye contact, please. All right, if you don't want to answer, don't look. I was wondering if Samuel had fallen in and a boy helped him. Oh, very good. Very Not that I think Samuel would necessarily. <laughs> no, no, I like it. Actually, it wasn't he that fell in, it was me. Um, anyone else? Anyone else? I'll come to you. I'm going to go this way. I did warn you, Hugh, earlier. Well, very similar. I thought that uh, Samuel could have helped him through. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Fantastic. What a wonderful, hope-inspiring people you are. What happened? He, the other boy fell in once, but... He, and he almost fell in twice, but I helped him. I helped him back. You did, you did, and that was absolutely wonderful. But I'm not talking about that, <laughs> unfortunately, because that's not the thing that happened. The thing that actually happened was a lifeguard came up to the mum and asked her to move. She couldn't be where she was. Ironically, we'd just been singing their praises about how well run the whole thing was. You know, all this chaos going on, and the children were there, safe and having fun. But the mum was now a problem. She was a hazard. She was a risk. I just stood by and listened. They were right, but again, 
they also were not right. They weren't taking into account his difference. His mum wasn't actually causing a risk. She was actually to the side of the inflatable, and she was a, a good distance away. But just a safe distance away so that he could see her if he needed her. So this conversation went on and it escalated and the manager was asked for. And in the end, I did chip in when my opinion was sought. Now, I'm certainly not criticizing the Walden Center at all. What they were doing was all part of a good and thorough health and safety procedure that they had in place just to make sure that everybody could have fun and enjoy this activity in a safe way. But in doing so, in sort of rigidly following a procedure, a policy, they'd failed to acknowledge his difference. And yet again, for the umpteenth time that day, that mum had to fight to have that difference acknowledged and understood. She was allowed to stay there just this one time. It was fine. And this daily struggle to be listened to, to be heard, continued for her. So it's not just those with a difference that need our care, but it's also those who care for them fearfully and wonderfully. So what are the barriers that we can remove for those with a difference? What can we do to enable others to live with purpose? What are you going to do in response to difference? When Stephen quoted Martin Luther King the other week, I was reminded of one of his speeches in which he said, we don't see the whole staircase. We see the first step. We need to recognize these first steps that might happen every day. We need to see the difference. We need to acknowledge it, be empathetic, compassionate, take time to listen, be ready to make a change. Enable the fearful and wonderful to happen. We need to know that God has a perfect plan for us, all of us, and we're taking steps in faith in his direction, and that will be fine. Amen. We're just going to finish with a prayer. We praise you, Lord, because we are all fearfully and wonderfully made. In our Father's house, there is room for all. There are no rejects. There are no able-bodied. There are no disabled. There are only his beloved children who are all made in his image. Amen.